Good morning. Well, as you may have noticed from your bulletins or from the screens, we are starting a new sermon series today. And this is the sermon series I get to pick when... So I got to think this over really carefully. I'm like, get to pick one sermon series in my time at College Hill Presbyterian. What is it going to be? And it's going to be parables. Because honestly, that's what Jesus picked when he had to teach. And if you notice, the artwork we have for it is actually pictures from our stained glass windows, which you can see much better. Thank you, uh, Regeneration team. Uh, but many of them depict the parables, and uh, I'll try to point out where those are located as we uh, get those parables. But we've got uh, lots of stories. And, you know, the, the original purpose of stained glass windows was to tell stories to an illiterate population. And so before people could read the Bible for themselves, they would come to church and have the Bible read to them, but they would also look at the walls and see the stories depicted on the walls. And so uh, it's an incredible gift to have those fully restored. And I've had people who literally came in and said that they had never noticed them here before, Uh, especially those yellow ones over there, which if you come in on the right day are vivid. So this morning we're going to talk about uh, which, and we've got this, the title of the series is Stories with Intent, which is the shortest definition of a parable I could find. And it's from a, uh, a book, uh, by a, a guy named, uh, Klein Snodgrass. And, uh, it's called Stories with Intent. It's like a thousand page book just on the parables. But it's a wonderful read if you're looking for something to do for the next year. Um, <laughs> just a little bedtime reading. And this morning we're going to start in Matthew chapter 13. And uh, I'm going to start with just verses uh, 1 through 9. And uh, and those will be on the the screen. And then we'll continue later in the service with 10 through 23. So uh, I'd invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. And in the meantime, I will pray for us. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to uh, gather together to worship you and now the gift of your written word. We pray that your Holy Spirit uh, would bring it to life for us, that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see what you are saying then and now. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Starting in verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told uh, he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, They withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, there's a challenge with parables. How many people in here have never heard the parable of the sower before? Okay. No one. And this is, this is actually a problem. This is one where familiarity can cause confusion. Usually familiarity helps you. 
But this is actually a confusing story that Jesus tells, and it's hard to understand uh, for a couple of reasons. And so I was trying to think of, like, what's a way that I can recreate the confusion that the original audience would have felt and our uh, audio video booth, I don't know if it was if Zach or Matthew or Kara, someone up there suggested that I just get up and read those seven verses and then sit down and have them sing a song. Um, and that might leave you feeling adequately confused. But there are a couple of modern day parables, which I think you will be either unfamiliar or less familiar with, that I'll throw out for you. And this is also a good illustration of how parables work. Uh, the first one is this, and it's very short. It's from David Foster Wallace. And he opens and says, two, two young fish were swimming in the ocean one day. And an older fish came and swam by and said, water's great today, boys. And as he kept swimming, the young fish looked at each other and said, what the heck is water? <laughs> he who has ears, let him hear. Now, now that's a parable. And that one, the meaning is, uh, it can be fairly self-evident, but he's talking about, you know, culture, things that you just can, you just take in without even noticing. And so he says, when someone tries to point that out to you, you just miss it. But here's another one. This one's a little longer, and I don't know uh, the proper citation, but this came to me by way of a seminary professor who attributed it to David Lyle Jeffries, who's a professor of religion at Baylor. And it goes like this. There's this monastery on a mountain in a village in the valley. And these monks would frequently you know, go down and you know do their work, do their prayer, do their teaching and preaching in the valley. And one cold morning, it's important that it's a cold morning, this monk is walking down to the village to preach on Sunday morning. And he encountered this baby bird who was dying from exposure to the cold. And so he picked it up and tucked it inside of his robe and kept walking and it was warming the bird up. It was working and the bird was doing a little better, but as he approached the town, the town, uh, he realized, you know, I can't go in there and preach with a bird tucked into my, um, my robe. So he looked around and thought, what can I, what can I put this bird down in? And he found, um, some cow pies on the ground, uh, which are fresh and warm. And he thought, well, I can tuck the bird in there and that will keep it warm. And so he did and it worked and he went on his way and the bird uh, got warm and started to come back to life and got so happy that it started singing. And the singing drew the attention of a fox. And the fox came and ate the bird. And that's the end of the parable. <laughs> now, how many people feel really confident they know what the point of that parable is? Anyone? See, now we get it. So Jesus, we have one taker. I would give you a microphone, but you're all the way in the back row. Um, now, see, that's confusing because there's nothing really unusual about that story. That seems like something that could happen, right? But the original teller of that parable had a threefold meeting. He said the first one here, the first meeting is, the one who puts you into it is not necessarily your enemy. The one who puts you into it is not necessarily your enemy. The one who pulls you out of it is not necessarily your friend. And three... When you find yourself up to your beak in it, it's best to keep your beak shut. <laughs> now, that's funny. 
But the context is even more illuminating. This was apparently given for the first time from a um, college president or a dean of academics to first-time hires in the professor department, associate professors who had just gotten hired. So when you find yourself up to your beak in it, it's best to keep your beak shut. It's actually a threat. It's, and the parable gets a little dark then, doesn't it, when we know the context. So first of all, the story is just a story, and then you find out, oh, it's not just a story. It's got an intent to it. And then when you find the context, you find even more intent. And the point here is this. Parables are confusing. And we're going to be going through the parables. In fact, you have the full list of the parables we're going to cover. Now, it's not exhaustive, but I tried to cover He has, uh, in his book, he's got the different categorizations by topic of the parables. And we're doing one from each topic. So it's hitting on different fronts every single week. And you'll see the list of those on the front of your bulletin. But there's this temptation for Christians to allegorize um, the parables. In fact, uh, a different commentator said that this was the dominant form of interpretation from the 4th century to the 19th century, was to allegorize. And here's what I mean. Uh, St. Augustine, who we all generally like, we have positive feelings about St. Augustine. He's uh, a brilliant man, a wonderful man of God, has written some of the most powerful works in the Christian faith. However... It is frequently cited as a way to not interpret parables. Because he interpreted the parable of the Good Samaritan as uh, the man who has fallen on the road, he says, is Adam. And the Good Samaritan who comes in is Jesus. And the city that he takes him to is the New Jerusalem. And so he fixed the whole story of the Bible into that little parable. But in the context of the parable, it's just an answer to a question. And the question is, who's my neighbor? And so we can read sometimes too much into them. And so our goal here in our series and this morning is to read nothing more or nothing less than what Jesus intends to teach with the parable. Now, this is interesting because when I was Googling to find the exact wording of what's it called? The parable of the parable of the bird and the cow pies. I found it on a Christian blog where the blogger had misinterpreted the parable and was using it to teach his own thing. And I thought, how easy it is to have something that was written in the last 50 years uh, for that to be misinterpreted. Just imagine what we're up against with 2,000 years of, of interpretation in history. But as we start from the beginning, we're going to want to answer a couple questions. And the first is this, what is a parable? Now, the Oxford English Dictionary says it's a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. Parable is uh, derived from the Greek word, which means putting things side by side. But they are, um, and this is from Klein Snagres, who we've taken our title from. He says, they are a means of enlightenment and persuasion intended to bring hearers to the point of decision. So it's a means of enlightenment and persuasion, and the intent is to bring you to a point of decision about whatever the topic is. So they're not just stories. They don't just entertain, but they do entertain, um, and they are persuasive, and they're meant to bring you to some kind of juncture. Uh, and so uh, allegories are simply uh, for illustration parables. Uh, employ illustration, but they contain a message. And the message leads you to a decision. Now, if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what's called the Synoptic Gospels, 
roughly 50% of Jesus' teaching in those books is in parables. And you can see his preference for parables increase as opposition to Jesus increases. So the books don't start with as many parables, but once people start opposing Jesus, he becomes more and more interested in teaching in parables. And we'll see maybe why that is. Uh, but there's also something else profound going on here, and this is, uh, we see it, you know, from God the Father with the, the, the whole work of the Bible, but we also see it in Jesus, and it's the power of story. And this is another quote from, last quote for the day from Klein Snodgrass. He says this, he says, story entertains, informs, involves, motivates, authenticates, and mirrors existence. It entertains, informs, involves, motivates, authenticates, and mirrors existence. And so Jesus, you know, whether the parable, sometimes they're only one verse, sometimes they're 20 verses, sometimes they don't even have a human character in them, sometimes they've got five or six characters in them. So there's not a lot of consistency there, but what's consistent is that they invite you into a story and then it leads you to a point of decision on the issue at hand. And so you may ask why Jesus decides to teach in parables. In fact, the disciples ask him that in the very next verse. In uh, verse 10, then the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And if I can do a little bit of interpretation here, what they're really asking is, why do you speak to us in parables? They're like, they don't understand what's going on here. They don't understand the parable. Because think about Jesus' parable that he told. He tells a primarily agricultural society about someone who goes out and throws seed and the seed that doesn't land on soil doesn't grow and the seed that lands on soil grows. Is that in any way news to a farmer? Is it? No. Farmers know that. And so, and then he says, he who has ears, let him hear. So it's, you know, a farmer went out and threw some seed. The seed that didn't land on soil didn't grow. The seed that landed on soil grows. If you get it, you get it. And people are like, this is the great teacher that we walked all the way out here to see. And he's telling us how seed works. Um, but that is, in fact, what he says to them. And so Jesus, now we'll pick up in, uh, in verses 11 here. So they ask him why he speaks in parable. And he says it this way. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, their case, uh, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says... You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For the people's heart has grown dull, and their ears can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And that's all we're going to read for now. We'll pick up in verse 18 in a moment. And so Jesus, they ask him, why does he teach in parable? And he says, well, if I didn't teach in parable, people would understand me. 
And now this is the opposite of how they taught us to preach in seminary. They did not say, now get up there and confuse everyone. Make sure no one can hear what you're saying. No one can see what you're seeing. Uh, But this is what Jesus does. And in fact, he's quoting, he's identifying with Isaiah from chapter 6. And the quote from Isaiah chapter 6 is God commissioning, God sending Isaiah on his ministry. And he says, and by the way, on your ministry, you're going to preach and they're not going to hear. You're going to show them and they're not going to see. And, you know, and goes through the whole quote that we just read. And then, and, uh, and then Isaiah says, uh, you know, it's not real appealing, but how long should I do that? And, and God responds once again and basically says, no, that's your ministry. That's what you're going to be doing. Um, there's, there's no end to that for you. Um, you, they, they're going to hear, but they're not going to understand. They're going to see, but they're not going to perceive. Their hearts have grown dull. And in a sense, Isaiah is showing, uh, both the people of Israel himself and God is demonstrating uh, that they are not prepared to hear what he is saying to them. And so Jesus identifies with this. Jesus says, you know, people are going to hear me and they're not going to understand, they're going to see, and they're not going to perceive. Um, but what we also need to look at here is what has just happened in verse 12, and this is where we'll, or chapter 12, and this is where we'll start to get into the actual parable here. But we want to know what is the parable of the sower really about? What's really going on here? And in chapter 12, you see the resistance to Jesus start to mount. If you have it open, this is, I'm not going to read it to you because um, we have another service today. But um, I would encourage you to go home and read what's happening in Jesus t- in, to Jesus in chapter 12. Uh, first, he heals a man on the Sabbath, and he's accused by the religious leaders um, of violating Old Testament law. And then he heals a man with a withered hand, uh, and he drives out a demon, and he's accused of blasphemy. He's accused of being possessed by a demon. And then Jesus' family comes and tries to take him away. And so if you're a disciple at this point, you're starting to wonder, who's crazy here? Is this guy crazy? Are they crazy or am I crazy? Somebody's crazy. That's not in question anymore. It says, am I really following the right guy? What is it that the leaders of my religion are seeing in Jesus that is leading to them to such a different conclusion than I've reached. What is it that his own mother and siblings are seeing in Jesus and ready to pull him off the streets, yet I'm still following this person? Have I made a terrible mistake? That has to be what's going through their head. And it says at the beginning of the parable of the sower, on the same day. And so, now we will finally get uh, to the parable of the sower explained by Jesus. Now I like when, this is like, the original study Bible, right? Jesus explains the meaning of the parable later in the passage. That's great. You get a Jesus commentary on Jesus' teaching. In verse 18, he says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what has been sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what is sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world 
and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and prove it unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. And so Jesus answers them, now we know uh, a little bit more about what's going on. So who here, and this is a not a rhetorical question, who is the sower in this story? Jesus. I heard it from somewhere. Jesus is the sower. He's describing his own ministry here. Uh, what is the seed in his ministry? The word, his teaching. Uh, everything he says and the, and the entirety of what he says, the whole of the gospel. Uh, and then what is the soil? I heard a couple, I heard some yous and some wees. Um, hearts of the people. Uh, and you could even say you are. And I'll say to you are. Um, and I have the pulpit, so it's you. But it's, <laughs> but it's you and I. It's everyone who hears what Jesus is saying is the soil. And so how many of you uh, garden at home or try to garden? Yeah, we buy the, you know, we've, Susan's bought a few seeds from the place on uh, Gray Road there. And we, uh, we try to grow some things. We've had uh, moderate success. But for those of you who raise their hand who grow things, do you take it personally when not every single tiny seed you throw begins to grow? If you do, you're not cut out for gardening. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna break it to you real gently like that in a loving way. Because what Jesus is saying here is, he's the sower, his message is the seed, the people are the soil, there is no problem with the sower. Sower is doing what a sower does. There's no problem with the seed because when it lands on good soil, it produces fruit. So what's the issue here? Us, the soil. And so what he's saying is there are some people who are like throwing seeds on a path. And if you're a farmer, you might as well scatter pavement on Hamilton Avenue. That's what he's saying. He's like, you will get as good of a response with some people as you will go preaching the gospel to the pavement on Hamilton Avenue. That's what he's saying. So there are some people who are just completely unreceptive to the gospel. And there are other people who are hostile towards the gospel. And there are people who are indifferent to the gospel. And there are people who receive it with joy, but fall away from it. People who look like, oh, okay, the seed is caught on, but they fall away quickly. And let me just tell you, as someone who's spent over a decade in ministry, churches spend many, countless hours and dollars chasing those people. Because we see what we, we, you know, we see what we want to see, which is we see people responding and then they fall away and we just think, well, if we just throw you know, this much more money, this much more time, uh, then they'll come around, you know, we can get them to participate in something. And uh, Jesus is just saying, you know, some people are just going to receive it with joy, but it's going to fade away. But he says, there is good soil. And here's, this is the tricky thing. Now, I don't want to get too much into the English uh, of it with you, but each parable has... Um, its own kind of category in terms of literary genre. And 
Um, the book goes through a lengthy debate on every single parable on what kind of parable it is. And he says the best way to describe this one is a fourfold similitude. And what he's saying is this is just four images stacked in a row. So they don't necessarily relate to each other. And what you can't necessarily infer is that uh, each of the seed is, <clears throat> represents 25% of the audience. So he's not saying that only a quarter of the gospel seed sown bears fruit. Plus, he says, the ones that do bear fruit, some of them bear fruit of a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. So the gospel does produce, uh, and Jesus is, um, so there are two ways to see this here. As someone who, uh, each week you're charged to go forth and take the gospel into the world. And some people see this as, uh, as the negative, like I was talking about, you know, throwing, preaching to Hamilton Avenue, not the people on Hamilton Avenue, literally the pavement. Some people say that and they say, well, why bother preaching if I'm not going to get any results? You know, if that's not going to work. But you can look at it the other way too. You can say, actually what Jesus is saying here is that if you're, you know, faithfully throwing seed, you're preaching the word, you are guaranteed results. Because there is good soil out there and good soil produces fruit. And so you're actually guaranteed fruit. And it's not about, you know, your skill. Can you, you know, how well you can throw seed. It's about the quality of the seed and ultimately the work of the sower who is Jesus. And so this parable lays the groundwork for the rest of Jesus' teaching. Because what he's saying here is he's saying, look, I want to communicate something to my friends. And people who wouldn't want to hear what I have to say anyway won't be able to understand what I'm saying. And Jesus is in a position to judge that. I'm not necessarily in a position to judge who's going to hear what when I say it, so I faithfully preach the gospel whenever I can. But Jesus, especially, and you remember, it increases when opposition to him increases. So as more and more people rally against Jesus, he starts relying more and more on teaching in parables. And he says, you know, I'm going to speak to the people who are here to hear and have ears to hear and eyes to see. And so because we can understand what a parable is and what Jesus is trying to accomplish with the parable, and most importantly, in the parables, we learn how Jesus sees himself and understands his own ministry. And so by listening to Jesus' teaching, not only do we learn what Jesus is all about, we also learn what it means to be his disciple. And in this case, it means believing in Jesus even when the world... Our friends, hopefully not, but our religious leaders or even our own family don't see what we see in Jesus. That puts us in the same position as the disciples here. No matter what the world, no matter what other people, no matter what even your family in some cases uh, don't see in Jesus, we're called to follow him because of who he is and ultimately we are called to trust in who he says he is. Would you please join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you for uh, the gift of your written word. We pray uh, 